My name's Patricia King, and today I have an exciting message for you to hear. Stop! What are you thinking? We can't make it look like Patricia King is endorsing fighting. <clears throat> Hi, folks. Uh, Chris Roseberry here. Just want to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, and your financial contributions to continue to bring this important radio outreach to you as well as to the world. And unfortunately, we don't have the the major cash resources that... Patricia King does, but we have you, our listener audience, to help uh, support us financially so that we can keep bringing this radio program to you into the world. If you don't already support Fighting for the Faith financially, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And there are perks to being a crew member. Just keep listening to the program to find out what the latest perk is. And, of course, if you would like to make a one-time contribution, you could do so by clicking on the Donate button. Or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send that to Post Office Box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. All right, on to the program. We loved making it. We hope you enjoyed listening to it. Here we go. It's time... Another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Wednesday, October 17th, 2012. Mm-hmm. We'll be doing our light edition today. Seems to be a regular thing on Wednesday now. My schedule seems to have, well, sustained itself. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Now, part of discernment, and this is the point that I've been making uh, every Wednesday for a few weeks now, part of discernment is knowing the original. That means you have to study it in depth. And so what we've been doing is working our way through a series of uh, lessons, lectures, delivered by uh, the Reverend Ron Hodel of Faith Lutheran Church in Capistrano Beach, California, as he's been teaching through the book of Colossians. Uh, This is installment number 11 in the series, and I think the last uh, installment of the series. And the idea is go deep into a particular book. You familiarize yourself with it to the point where you have a pretty good working knowledge of it. Then if somebody comes along and teaches you something contrary to what's taught in that book and are, they're using verses that are in that book out of context, you'll immediately spot it for what it is, a counterfeit, a fraud, a phony, a sham, uh, somebody mangling God's word and trying to make merchandise of you. So that's, that's the idea. So uh, without any further ado, here is segment 11, Pastor Ron Hodel and his lecture uh, as he's been working his way through the book of Colossians. Here we go. We're in Colossians chapter 3, and uh, I want to start at 16. Colossians 3. 
16. All right, let's just, I'll just read the, the next uh, few verses there. <clears throat> Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Well, the first thing Paul tells us here is uh, let the word of Christ dwell. Uh, the word of Christ. Um, Christ is the means to all eternal blessings. Paul's uh, told us that already in the, in the first chapter, and now he's reiterating that here in this chapter. Paul is directing the Colossians to Christ and his word, not to the to the elemental spirits, whatever that stuff was going on then, or even uh, to elemental spirits, whatever those might be for us today that, that uh, draw us away from Christ, not to the elemental spirits, not to the visions and the uh, ecstatic experiences that, that uh, Paul refers to just previously, because those things um, end up drawing us away from Christ and not to Christ. So Paul directs us to Christ and his word alone, and he does that for our own spiritual good. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you. Um, the words in you there, it's in the plural. So it's among you. Um, and there's no place that that happens in a more real way. The word of Christ dwelling among us than in corporate worship or divine service. You know, in divine service, the word of God dwells among us in, in word and in sacrament, not it's his it's his real presence with us. It's not some imaginary presence. It's not some presence that we need to conjure up somehow. It's not some uh, spiritualized presence. The word of Christ dwells literally with you. He is really present, um, <clears throat> and it's a word that's not just a dead word. It's not just words that are sounds that kind of vibrate through the air and, and hit our eardrums and then go into our brain. This is a living word. This is a word that works. It's the word that you hear uh, read in the lessons for the day. It's the word that you hear and you sing when we are in divine service. Uh, if you take a look in the hymnal, if you don't use the, the big print, um, I don't know why they don't include that in, in that uh, uh, Lutheran service builder. But in the, in the hymnal, of course, you see all the different places where the liturgy comes from. It's the word of God simply put into, into, uh, into tune. Um, it's the hymns. It's the, the liquid word that God washes us in and wa in, in holy baptism. It's uh, the word of Christ, the living word who is with us under bread and wine for life and salvation. His word is a living, active word. Um, think about it this way. His word works. It does what it says. You say, son, clean up your room. And does your word work, mom? No, it doesn't work. Never works. It's never, don't feel badly. It has never worked. All right. Um, only on very compliant people. Uh, these aren't the droids you're looking for. Uh, <laughs> Um, God's word is a living word. It actually does what it says. It creates what it speaks. You know, be light, God says, and there's light. Lazarus, come out. 
and Lazarus comes out. Little girl, I say to you, arise. And Jairus' daughter rises. His word works. And and it, it, it creates faith where there was once no faith. It's a very, you know, think about that. What could Lazarus really hear? He's dead. Christ's words work life in Lazarus. What did Lazarus contribute to that whole situation? Absolutely nothing. What did Jairus' daughter contribute to her being raised again? Absolutely nothing. God's word is the word that works. God's word creates faith. Um, and it's a word that dwells in you, in, the other, in another sense, that he has made you into his temple. Okay? So Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Uh, dwell in you richly, not only just uh, let it dwell in you a great deal, but let it also dwell in you with great benefit because Christ's word will work. Remember what Isaiah said, uh, was Isaiah chapter 55, uh, verse 10, as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it to bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that comes goes out of my mouth. It will not or shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that for which I purpose and succeed for the purpose for which I sent it. God's word will do what he says. Um, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Christ's word teaches. It instructs. Christ's word admonishes, and from that we understand law and gospel. And it's to be listened to because it is wisdom. Christ's office is that of prophet. He's priest. He's king. And earlier in the book, we saw that he is also Sophia. He is wisdom. All right? Let that word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now, it's not really easy to distinguish uh, sharply between these three things, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. People have done a lot of different things with that. Um, I think it's probably sufficient to say that the psalms would certainly bring up in the mind of, of, of Paul's hearers the psalms of the Old Testament. Um, this, the, the book of Psalms was the prayer book for the people of God. The book of Psalms was the hymn book for the people of God, both the Old and the New Testament believers. And so I like to say, if you've ever wanted to have the same hymn book that your Lord Jesus used, you know, if you've ever wanted to have the same prayer book that Jesus used, you don't have to go to the Bible bookstore and buy one that was just written of you have it in your hands right now. It's the book of Psalms. It was the same prayer book Jesus used. And you hear him as, as he, as he uh, goes through his ministry, often referring to it. The last time on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? Psalm 22. Okay. He knew his prayer book. Um, 
hymns uh, could possibly be the New Testament uh, songs of praise. We've got uh, uh, we've got the Magnificat uh, from from uh, uh, from Luke chapter one. We've got Simeon's song, the Nook Demidus, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace in Luke chapter 2. Those are all hymns that are being uh, sung by the church even before uh, the Gospels are written. We've got uh, the, the, the hymn in uh, Philippians chapter 2, the hymn about Christ emptying himself and taking on the form of a servant and suffering and dying for us and rising and every knee and, and at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Okay, those were hymns that were being sung by the church and Paul and the gospel writers inspired by God, include those hymns in their, in their writings and, of course, then pass them down to us. So we've got psalms and we've got hymns and spiritual songs. I don't know what exactly he's getting at. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's just plain songs that the church is singing, uh, songs that didn't make it into the scriptures, but very good songs indeed as well. Um, uh, we can't determine precisely what Paul's distinctions are there. But we can see that Paul is directing us to an incredible uh, resources that's available to his church. Even then, join in these psalms. Well, they had those. Join in the hymns. And if those hymns were things like the Magnificat and, and the, the Nook Demidus, uh, join in those. And what's wonderful is they were singing them then, and we are singing them now. Same songs. I don't know the tunes. Right, but uh, same songs, um, and so uh, those resources give a great expression to our faith. And he says to do it with grazia, with grace, with with thanksgiving. Um, and so to kind of summarize this section, uh, we see that there is a sacramental dimension to worship. Sacramental God bestowing His salvation upon us through word and sacrament from God to us. That's always the action first, God to us. And then there's a sacrificial dimension to worship here as well. Um, there's prayer, praise, thanksgiving, and a life of service to him. A life of service in the vocations that he's already put you in. And we've talked about that before. You don't need to serve. If you really want to serve God, you don't need to quit your job and go be a nun. Well, you couldn't do that, but um, yeah, uh, not, not qualified. Um, no, you serve God as a grandparent. You serve God as a mother. You serve God as a, as a worker at the store. You serve God in whatever vocation he's placed you in. You serve others by serving. You serve God by serving others. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Um, giving thanks. I think it's the third time he's mentioned that in three verses. All right. This takes us to verse 18 and following. And I'm going to read 18 through 4 verse 1. Please hold your stones for later. <laughs> Wives, submit to your husbands 
as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving Christ the Lord. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Okay, in this section, Paul deals with various vocations that each of us, uh, each of us might have. Uh, maybe you can relate to a number of them at one time, um, including slave. Uh, and the first word that we run across, he says, wives, submit. Um, that needs no explanation. And now we go to husbands, love your wife. <laughs> Um, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. You could translate that, um, be subject to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. But I guess that probably didn't help much, did it? Um, uh, today, these words are fighting words. Um, these are words that turn a lot of people off. Um, they're words that have earned St. Paul the title misogynist or woman hater. Right? They have wrongly earned Paul those, that title, but uh, sometimes you are wrongly given titles. And it's a very sad and misunderstood topic here that Paul's talking about. The, the idea behind the word submit um, is that there is a proper ordering of things. There's, a, there's an orderly arrangement between husbands and wives. I want to tie this together with with where Paul expands on this in Ephesians chapter 5, starting at verse 21, and especially I want to get to verse 33 there. So let me, let me uh, expand on this here. Um, Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, I, I should start actually at 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ is the way that starts. Submit, uh, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh." 
This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ in the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Another way to translate this or kind of explain it is, wives, be ordered in respect to your husbands. And the reason for that is when there's a right ordering of things, things are going to work out better. And it just, it's, it's an order of creation that works everywhere. If you're, I, I got to do some tapping of some metal and the, the drill bit and the tap need to be ordered in respect to one another. I cannot have a drill bit that is bigger than the tap. Otherwise, I'll have nothing to tap. And I can't have a drill bit that's too small because I'll never get the tap in. All right? They need to be ordered in respect to each other. The tap can never be the, you know, I don't need you drill bit and, and try to tap its own hole. It's just simply not going to go. And the same thing happens in math. And I put an algebra problem here. I have an algebra problem. And I was going to come, hold on. Gail, could I check this in? <laughs> I know. Is this right? Yeah. Okay. If you want to learn math, don't ask me. Ask her. She's the one that can do it. Um, here's my algebra problem. Nine with a parentheses and then two times three parentheses equals y. And so uh, the way to solve this problem is the 9 is really a big number, right? It's a big number compared to the 2. And so the 9 always takes precedence over the 2 because it's bigger and stronger and more important. <laughs> and I'm going to come up with the wrong ordering, and that means I'm going to come up with the wrong answer. Um, so you got uh, 2 times 3 equals 6. You got the 9 there. You got times equals y. So 9 times 6 equals 54. So 54 equals y. All right? To get the right answer, you have to do the problem in the right order. It doesn't matter that the 9 is bigger. It doesn't matter that the 9 is more important. It doesn't matter if I put stars around the 9. You have to deal with what's in the parentheses first and then um, then continue on in the right order. Um, I think the same thing goes with husbands and wives and marriage as well. Um, and so you say, what is the right order? And as Christians, we turn to, to, to God in his word, and we get a clue to what the right order is in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. If you think about what happens in those chapters before the fall, Adam and Eve are helpmates to one another. Um, they're helpmates. And you know what a blessing a helpmate is to you, especially when you compare it to having to go life alone. Uh, helpmates are indispensable. Um, if you don't have one, then you need to find some sort of substitute. I mean that in a positive way. Um, you, uh, it's a child helping a parent who doesn't have a helpmate. It's, it's, a, uh, it's a roommate 
my daughter lives with some other people, and my son too. And uh, they're helpmates to one another in the sense that they can help each other out. Okay, in marriage here, Paul calls, uh, or God calls Adam and Eve helpmate. He doesn't say one is more important. He just says they're helpmates one to another. Um, and scripture also says they were naked and not ashamed. Um, in other words, they had absolutely nothing to hide from one another. There was nothing that they had to protect from each other. They did not have to play their cards close to their chest because the other was going to take advantage of them. They were naked, completely vulnerable to each other, and they weren't ashamed of that, and there was nothing to worry about. Okay? After the fall, things change. If you get to Genesis chapter 3, you see that the effects of sin hit everything. And what God talks about in Genesis 3, talk about what sin does to various vocations uh, in, in our lives. And the first person or the first one that, that, that God speaks to is Satan. And he says, your, your self-chosen vocation is to try and take my son down. And in doing that, you're going to get your head stomped. A bad vocation to have. Um, and then of the wife, uh, Scripture says of the woman, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. So the vocation completely unique to women is that of childbirth. And now included in childbirth is pain. Um, what was to be pure joy is going to have pain connected to it. Such a pain that you might choose never to have another child after you go through it. Um, and so God says something else. Your desire shall be for your husband. Um, there will still be a desire for your husband in spite of all the pain of childbearing so that the vocation of childbirth will continue. Okay, there was an old prayer, and I wish I just came to mind uh, that my pastor uh, prayed. I'm sure it was in the 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 the. Um, the altar book back uh, uh, back then, um, and it talked about uh, being with the wife or being with the mother through her peril and pain and gladdening her heart with the gift of a child. Um, and so, you know, that's kind of what's going on here. In one sense, there's the pain of childbearing, and yet there's the desire to keep the process of bringing uh, the next generation into the world through childbearing. Um, and then he says, your desire will be for, shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Now, rule over you, does that sound much like helpmate? You know, hardly. It's almost like the exact opposite. What was supposed to be pure, selfless giving, what was supposed to be helpmate, um, is now overrun with domination with competition. Um, and the gracious servant headship that the, that the father or the husband needed to be in this helpmate relationship, now it's taken on a, a power component. You don't hear any of that in helpmate. You don't hear domination, competition, power struggle. 
Those are all things that sin brought into the relationship between husband and wife. And then of Adam, uh, it says, And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the, of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face shall you eat bread. Till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For dust, for you are dust. And to dust you shall return. The blessed ground that I gave to you. Well, it's still yours to manage. And it's still going to provide food for you. But now, after the fall the ground is also going to be filled with a lot of thorns and thistles. I always remind our confirmation students, I, I, we, we talk about this, I, I talk about work is good. You know, um, you know if, if we would all be honest, you know, as much as you might want retirement or something like that, you kind of say, I like working. Work is good. All right. What's bad about work are the thorns and thistles that are attached to it. Could you, wouldn't it be wonderful to just do your work and there'd be no thorns and thistles? Uh, there was a, a doctor in my last congregation, he was a naval doctor, an ophthalmologist, and uh, he, uh, he uh, was a Navy doctor and then he went into private practice. He and his wife raised four boys. And after the fourth boy was, was, uh, 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 was launched, um, then uh, he went back into the Navy and served at Oaknell Naval Hospital. And he said, I absolutely love it. He said, I used to have to deal with insurance plans and payments and all of this and whatnot in the front end office and you know and so forth. He said, now all I do is operate on eyes. That's all I've ever wanted to do, and that's all I do. I don't worry about anything else. Okay? He was able somehow to get rid of a bunch of thorns and thistles. All right. Um so uh so for, for Adam, the curse is his work, which is going to provide bread for his table, is also going to be filled with thorns and thistles. And it's going to make it somewhat painful. All right, we're going to pause the lecture right there and pay some bills. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Pirate Christian, we will be right back. God doesn't need your good works. Your neighbor needs them. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents... Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... (laughs) You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. It's... Python's Flying Circus Church. 
Good morning. Good morning, sir. Can I help you? Yes. Do you have a copy of 30 Days in the Desert to Learn Your Purpose and to Cast the Vision to the Ignorant Masses by S. Furtick, QWZ? Uh, well, I don't know the book, sir. Uh, never mind. Never mind. How about 101 Ways to Build a Mega Church and Make Big Bucks? I? Well, some American gentleman whose name eludes me at the moment. I believe his last name rhymes with Shin. Uh, no. Well, we haven't gotten in stock, sir. <sighs> oh, well, not to worry. Not to worry. Can you help me with the screw tape letters? Ah, yes. C.S. Lewis. No. I beg your pardon? No, Harold Wapcat. I think you'll find C.S. Lewis wrote the screw tape letters. Sir. No, no, Lewis wrote the screw tape letters with one C. This is the screw tape letters with two C's by Harold Wapcat. The screw tape letters with two C's. Yes, I should have said that. Yes, well, in that case, we don't have it. Hmm, funny, you've got a lot of books here. Yes, we do, but we don't have the screw tape letters with two C's by Harold Wapcat. Hmm, pity. It's more thorough than Lewis's. More thorough? Yes, I, I wonder if it might be worth looking through all of your screw tape letterses. No, sir, all of our screw tape letterses have one C. Are you sh quite sure? Quite. Hmm. Not worth just looking? Definitely not. <sighs> all right, how about The Great Divorce? Yes, well, we have that. That's G-R-A-T-E, Divorce, but also by Harold Wapcat. Yes, well, in that case, we don't have it. We don't have anything by Harold Wapcat. He actually, he's not very popular. Not the problem of pain. That's P-R-O-A-B-L-U-M. No. The Chronicles of Narnia with a K. No. How about Out of the Violent Planet? Definitely not. Sorry to trouble you. Not at all. Good morning. Good morning. Oh! Yes. I, I wonder if you might have a copy of Perilous Landra. No, as I said before, we're right out of Harold Wapcat. No, not Harold Wapcat. C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis. Yes. You mean Paralandra? No, Perilous Landra by C.S. Lewis. That's Lewis with two S's, the well-known feminist lesbian theologian. No, well, we don't have Perilous Lander by C.S. Lewis with two S's, the well-known feminist lesbian theologian, and perhaps to save time, I should add that we don't have Dandy Landra by C.S. Lewis, or the penultimate battle by Clive Staples Chewbacca, or even Out of the Silent but Deadly Planet by B.S. Lewis with four eyes and a silent Q. What a pity, that's my favorite. Why don't you try Zondervan? I, I did, they sent me here. Did they? I, I wonder. Oh, do go on, please. Yes, I, I wonder if you might have the amazing adventures of Pastor Perry Noble and his intrepid spaniel Stig amongst the giant purpose-driven pygmies of Beckles. Volume 8. No, don't have that. Funny. Got a lot of books here. Well, I mustn't keep you standing here, thank you. Oh, well, do you have... No, no, we haven't. No, we haven't. But, 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 Sorry, it's 1 o'clock. We're closing for lunch. I, I saw it. I saw it. What? What? I, I saw it over there. Religious Bodies of America by F.E. Meyer. Religious Bodies of America by F.E. Meyer. Yes. B-O-D-I-E-S. Yes. M-A-Y-E-R. Yes. Yes, well, we do have that, as a matter of fact. The expurgated version. Uh, I'm sorry, I didn't quite catch that. The expurgated the version. The expurgated version of Religious Bodies of America by F.E. Mayer? The one without the Lutherans. The, the one without the Lutherans? They've all got the Lutherans. It's a standard religious body. The Lutherans are in all the books. Well, I don't like them. They baptize infants. All right, I'll remove it. Any other religious bodies you don't like? I don't like the Presbyterians. Uh, the Presbyterians, right. Presbyterians. There you are. Any others you don't like? Any others? The Methodists. The Methodists, the Methodists, the Methodists, the Methodists. Oh, yeah, they are. There you are. No Lutherans, no Presbyterians, no Methodists. There's your book. I can't buy that. It's torn. <laughs> I wonder if you have... Um... No, go on. Ask me anything. We've got lots of book here. You know, it's a bookshop. How about Osteen brushes his teeth? No, no, we don't have that one. Funny. Uh, the Gospel According to Rob Bell. No, no, no. Try me again. Uh, I, I know. Uh, Martin Chemnitz's The Two Natures in Christ. No, no, no. What, 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 what? Yeah, Martin Chemnitz's The Two Natures in Christ. Martin Chemnitz's Two Natures. Huh? 
Yes, we got it. I see it somewhere. Yes, I found it here. Got it. Yes, here we are. Martin Cavendish's Two Natures in Christ. There's your book. Now buy it. I don't have enough money. I'll take a deposit. I, I don't have any money. I'll take a check. I, I don't have a checkbook. I got a blank one. I, I don't have a bank account. Right. I'll buy it for you. There we are. There's change. There's some money for a taxi on the wait, way home. There's wait, your... wait, wait, wait. What, 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 what? I can't read. You can't read. Right? Sit down. Sit down. Sit, sit. Are you sitting comfortably? Right. Chapter one. Because the person of the incarnate Christ is made up of two natures, the divine and the human, united into one hypostasis, there follows from this a communion of attributes. Hello, I'm Brandon House with Worldview Weekend. I want to invite you to visit our website, worldviewweekend.com, and find out about my brand new book, Religious Trojan Horse. This is a book I've been working on for two and a half years, and it describes in great detail how the left and the right are coming together both religiously and spiritually to build a false dominant church. You can find all the details at worldviewweekend.com. Again, it's Religious Trojan Horse. It's 500 pages over 600 footnotes. Now, while you're at worldviewweekend.com. I'd like you also to check out our Situation Room. You can have access to over $8,000 in Biblical Worldview Weekend resources, including over 1,400 MP3s of my daily radio show and Biblical Worldview Weekend keynote presentations. You can also watch about 150 of our Worldview Weekend DVDs on demand as a member of the Situation Room. Full details for that are at situationroom.net. Situationroom.net. You can also visit our website and find out about our free Biblical Worldview Weekend rallies held all over the country. All the details are at worldviewweekend.com. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code and then click on the banner and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to become supremely dissatisfied with your church, especially if your pastor isn't preaching the word, Christ, and the gospel. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. You can partner with us by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And if you'd like to... 
specify the amount that you would like to contribute. Do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith, and then send that to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. All right, here is the concluding section of the last lecture by Doc, uh, not Dr., but Reverend Ron Hodel on uh, the Book of Colossians. Here we go. When I'm talking about uh, be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives submit to your husbands, um, being ordered in respect to your husband has nothing to do with who's more important, it has nothing to do with who's bigger, it has nothing to do with who's stronger, it has nothing to do with who's more powerful. Those are the words of competition. Those are the words of dominance. Those are all things that came into marriage uh, because of the fall into sin. And I think Paul comments on all of this a little bit later on in, in that Ephesians 5 passage when he ends that whole section. He says, however, he, he points out what he's saying, what he's talking about is the love that Christ has for the church. That's his main point. That's what he's trying to get across, which, uh, and, and which he does, of course. Um, and, the, and the best example that he can give of Christ's love for the church is the love of a husband for a wife in a, in a perfect relationship. All right. And uh, he says, all this is about Christ and the church. However, there's instruction for marriage in this as well. He says, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Um, so I thought about that. I thought, you know, one thing that men really do need is men need to feel respected. We need respect. And wives need to feel loved. And so, women, your husband needs to feel respected. So, uh, never marry a man that you don't respect because in the end, you're going to end up despising him and that'll be noticed immediately. And so, it also then says to men, on the other hand, stay respectable. You know, Don't make it hard for her to respect you with a godly respect. Makes sense. And then men, women need love. Um, they need agape, selfless love that Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 5. Um, lovable, uh, uh, um, not, just, not just when they're lovable, but even when they're not. Um, of course, that would never uh, happen, but I understand. Um, uh, and, and, you know, the other thought they have on that is you really do need to know how a woman uh, defines love. Okay, it can be defined in a lot of different ways. The Greeks had a lot of ways to define love. Uh, women and men have different ways to define love. Uh, I love it when you touch me. I love it when you buy me things. I love it when you talk nicely to me. I love it when you do things for me, like take out the trash or make the bed or this and that and the other thing. Okay, and and those things rank differently, um, and they also they also change too. You know. Um, Ephesians uh, says, give her selfless love, which also says to the women, stay lovable. Um, don't make it hard for him to love you. Paul started off this whole section here in Ephesians chapter 5 with the words, submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. And so right there we see there's a mutual submission here going on. 
which is to say that wives need to feel respected too, and husbands as burly and strong and coarse as they might be also need to feel loved as well. All right, there's a mutual submission going on as well. And so back to that word submit. Um, there's nothing derogatory about it. There's nothing demeaning about the word if you think about it in terms of what Scripture is trying is, is saying. Think of Jesus. He submitted to his parents, Mary and Joseph. Uh, um, just from, from Luke chapter 2, verse 51. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. The king of the universe, submissive to Mary, his mother? Yeah. Um, the one who holds the universe in his hand? And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. So Christ was submissive to his parents. And even within, within the economy of the Trinity, you know, the three persons of the Holy Trinity are equal. And yet there is a submission of the risen and exalted Christ to the Heavenly Father. So there's an economy that's involved there as well. And so husbands and wives are equal as human beings. In other words, being a husband or a wife, being a man or a woman is of no greater value one way or the other. Uh, scripture points out that Eve was taken from Adam, right? And then subsequently, ever since, every Adam who has ever lived has come from the daughter of Eve. So you can't live with them and... No, no, that's not what I'm trying to say. No. That's, that's a different lecture. Uh, no. Um, equal, and yet husbands and wives have distinct roles that they play within the relationship. And it's our fallen world and it's the sin in each of us that, that bring in that domination and that, that competition and that power struggle. Um, it's sin that defines a person's value by what role or function they're playing as opposed to their personhood. And that's too bad. What the Reformation did with vocation is a wonderful thing because it takes vocation out of the realm of, of um, power and puts it in the realm of service. Um, and, and so uh, uh, um, you, can ser you serve God equally as a pastor, uh, as you do uh, as an accountant, or a mother, or a lawyer, or a doctor, or a counselor, or a teacher, or a student, um, uh, a janitor. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah. So uh, it brings great value to vocations that our society tends to demean. Yeah. I think we're, a, I don't know, I don't hear it anymore, but you know, how many years ago it was, oh, you're just a stay-at-home mom? Try it someday, you know? Um, uh, a woman giving birth, Luther, Luther said a woman uh, giving birth um, uh, is doing God's work, bringing the next generation into the world. Who's to call that a, a, a less than valuable um, vocation? Verse 19, husbands, love your wives um, and do not be harsh with them. 
sometimes they joke around and say, well, she'll be subject to me, I'll love her. Yeah, right. No, 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 no. No. Um, Paul had a word, Scripture uses a word here. Um, it says, husbands, love your wives. He could have used the word storge, have a storge love, have a family love for your wife. Would have been very appropriate to use the word that way, um, but he didn't. He could have said, have a phileo love for your wife. Uh, have a have a brotherly love for your wife. Be a little weird, but you know it might work. You know we get we get the word fraternity from Phil, uh, uh, from Philo. We get the the word uh, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. And there you go to the airport, and you know people come and they pick up your baggage for you, and they take the keys to your car and help you. In. No, I'm kidding. Uh, it's a city like any other city. Philadelphia, Philo, brotherly love. Um, he could have used the word eros. Now, for us, uh, we get the word erotic from that. Um, and uh, uh, that might have been an appropriate term now, because there's nothing wrong with, a, uh, with a, 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 if you will, an erotic love for your wife, um, for your wife, not for the picture on the Internet, not for somebody else, okay? Um, but back in Paul's day, back in Paul's day, the word eros, or that erotic love, was to love something in the sense of it is your possession that you own. All right? Wives are not possessions of husbands that they own. Okay? He used the word agape love, selfless love, unconditional love. He calls for husbands to lead the way in love just as Jesus leads the way in his love for us. Husbands, Love your wives with that kind of love. He said the same thing to the Ephesians. An undying love for her. And then he goes on, and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents. How many children do we have? In, oh, no. <laughs> Wait a minute. We're all children, aren't we? We're all in the same boat as you are. Um, This letter, Colossians, was read in public, all right? It was read during the public worship service. They wouldn't just read a section of it either. They'd read the whole thing. Um, now, think about this. When, when Paul's writing, he's speaking to children, and Paul points out then that children are considered members of the church and part of the divine service, in other words, they didn't pack their kids up uh, and send them off to Sunday school during church so that they could sit uninterrupted in the sanctuary and, and uh, hear Paul's letter. Um, I'll grant that that'd be nice, maybe. Sit without your kids, have a break, uh, uh, you know, be really able to listen to God, God's word and, and so forth, and then have a cup of coffee afterwards and maybe another cup of coffee, maybe another cup of coffee, kind of stretch that break out, you know, <laughs> next three weeks, yeah. I'll be back when he's 25. <laughs> uh, no, no. The children were in divine service. They heard these letters, these, this, this letter too. Children, obey your parents. Um, uh, their kids were with them. That's where they learned to worship. I like to think of it this way. Where did, how did you learn to talk? Did your parents take you when you were a little kid and shut you in a closet where they didn't have to pay any attention to you, shut you in a closet until you were able to converse and then bring you out and 
have a conversation with you. Never. Well, they did Robert, but that's, um, uh, they, they talked to you. They talked with you. And you couldn't understand a word they were saying, and yet they kept talking to you. And you didn't get it, but that's okay. They kept talking to you. And pretty soon you started to get it, and you started to get words, and then you started to get phrases, and you started to get sentences, and then you started to learn to talk back. Uh, but, uh, which is what I thought you wanted me to do. Uh, but that's how we learn to talk. So how do we learn to worship? Well, we put a kid in a closet until he learns to worship, and then we bring him out and worship with us. No! They're in worship with us. Uh, they make noise. Uh, uh, Dr. O.P. Kretzman, who uh, 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 had uh, in the 50s, I think it was, was, a, was the president of Valparaiso University, said if the, if the sound of children in church bothers you, take it up with the one who made them that way. <laughs> and so I simply say, we all treat one another with, 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 with grace and mercy and courtesy. Children need to be in church. They need to learn how to worship, and they make a little bit of noise. And, and we need to be understanding of that. When they're making, like, too much noise, then, then the parents say, you know what? It's, it's uh, making a little bit too much noise, and we take them to the cry room um, um, or our nursery. Uh, John Baker, are you in here? John, there you are. Uh, years ago, I asked John to, to uh, help me with the nursery. And, and, uh, my, uh, and so if you've been in the nursery, you see all those little pews. They look like the pews in church. And there's a baptismal font that looks like the baptismal font in church. And there's an altar that looks like the altar in church. There's a pulpit that looks like the pulpit in church. And uh, the picture, my picture was this. Um, children are smart. And what, what they do is uh, they know that if they make noise in church, they get to go to the nursery and play. That they know. And so, so here at Faith, what happens when you make noise in church? You get to go to the nursery, and by golly, it looks just like church. <laughs> Either I'm in church with all those people, or I'm in church here, but it's church. You know, you can hear the service broadcast in in the PA system, and, and it looks like church, and it's church. Uh, and so it um, uh, shows you what I think of children. I torture them with church. No. Um, children, obey your parents. Um, in everything, for this pleases the Lord. In everything, unless your parents ask you to do something that God wouldn't ask you to do. And then he says, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. The uh, literal word for provoke there is to embitter them. You know, Paul's not saying that godly discipline isn't important and isn't necessary. It certainly is. Within the realm of law and gospel, within the realm of law and forgiveness and grace. Um, but you can do that in a way that's helpful or you can do that in a way that embitters them and discourages them. And Paul's saying, don't provoke your children lest they become discouraged. You don't want that. Um, you want them to be encouraged. You want them to really hear the gospel. And Paul addresses this specifically to fathers. Not because it doesn't apply to mothers, um, but to kind of emphasize the role that fathers have in the nurture of their children. 
It's the Heavenly Father who has forgiven us. And fathers stand in that role, in a sense, understand me correctly, um, as the one who dispenses certainly the law, but also the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness. And so, in a sense, what you hope is that children learn the love of God the Father through their earthly father. And so Paul says, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Well, let's go ahead and end there. We'll pick up at 22 uh, next time. Bond servants, or does that mean citizens? Maybe it could be both. Uh, the Lord be with you. Amen. So, uh, what'd you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Click on the subscribe button or follow me on Twitter. My name there at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ. His vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.